All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina All of has our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello and welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In today's episode, we listen to an interview with former Judicial District 18 Chief Public Defender Wallace C. Harrelson. Appointed by former Governor Bob Scott in 1970, Harrelson was the first and longest-serving public defender in North Carolina. He served for more than 40 years, which spanned the terms of seven governors and five local Chief Superior Court judges. This interview was recorded in 2008 as part of the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism's historical video series. The interview was conducted by former Superior Court Judge Douglas Albright. Judge Albright speaks first in the interview. But Wally, just why did you decide on law as a career and what influences from your early youth and your early schooling contributed to your decision to go into law? Well, that's a very interesting question, Judge. Uh, I, as you have indicated, I grew up in Cherubal, was raised on a farm. And uh, during my high school years, I was very active in the Methodist church. And at one time, uh, particularly my junior and senior years in high school, I, I thought about uh, going into the ministry, and being a preacher. Uh, some people think that I'm still preaching, but uh, uh, even though I didn't go into the ministry. But at uh, any rate, uh, even when I went to Duke in, uh, in the fall of 1955, I was still thinking about the ministry, but then I began to have second thoughts as to whether or not I really had had a true calling, so to speak, to go into the ministry. And uh, I got to talking to some friends that I had uh, made at Duke, particularly in the beginning of my sophomore year, uh, who were considering uh, going into the law field. And they said, well, why don't you come and and consider joining a little organization on campus at Duke called the Bench and Bar, which was uh, people who were pre-law. So uh, I decided by the end of my sophomore year that that's really what I wanted to do and uh, uh, started proceeding along those lines and taking courses that I felt might be of some help uh, uh, in uh, uh, going into the law field. Well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, What led you to uh, become a public defender here in the 18th Judicial District? What what influences came to bear on you? 
Well, that's interesting too. Uh, I had been the chairman of the indigent committee, uh, which was uh, responsible for getting lawyers to volunteer to uh, handle cases. Uh, and uh, Mark Short, who was a very prominent member of the bar uh, and a member of the legislature for a number of years, said he had decided uh, that uh, the state needed to consider uh, the public defender program. I hardly knew what that, what that was all about. And, uh, but he uh, said, uh, I think the time has come to establish a pilot project uh, in North Carolina to see if we can't provide better representations for indigent uh, people charged with crimes. So uh, in the waning days of the 1969 uh, legislative session, uh, he uh, got the law passed and to set up an office here and one in uh, Cumberland County. Uh, this office began maybe a month or so before that one there. And uh, so he came to my office, which was immediately adjacent to his office. He said, well, I got the law passed. You get the votes. He meant the votes of the bar because the bar is the one that recommended uh, the candidate for public defender to the governor for appointment. So I got busy and got out a letter and uh, knocked on doors and was successful in getting the most votes of the bar and was uh, appointed uh, effective January 1970 uh, by then Governor Bob Scott. Uh, he made the first appointment. So I said to Mark, well, I'll try it for one term. Well, almost 39 years <laughs> later, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty long term. Yeah, and going strong, <laughs> I might add. Thank you, sir. Uh, now, Wally, uh, you, you, uh, you spend a lot of time with new lawyers in the public defender's office. You, you've hired uh, many young lawyers, and you, you've gotten them started uh, doing trial work in the courts. What sort of nurturing or, or mentoring do they need in order to become top-flight trial lawyers? And what general advice do you offer to them about how to be successful in their, in their career as trial lawyers? Well, first thing I tell them is this, more or less, words similar to this. Uh, you must provide your client with the best representation possible within the bounds of ethics and propriety. Uh, you can hear them uttering those words sometimes because that has become my stock advice to the younger lawyers. But I have a little different uh, advice to give than maybe some practicing lawyers give to the new lawyer, I tell them, you have got to be practical uh, in the practice of the law. You've got to know when to stop and when to start. And you need to decide whether or not you got a case or whether you haven't got a case. The main thing you need to do is first go and see your client and see what he or she says that it, uh, they know about this crime. Uh, many of them, uh, when they get to see their client, they find out the client has done 
run his mouth to the police, and there's not much they can do. I tell them, you, you, you know, you might have learned in law school about making motions. Uh, and uh, I say to them, you've got to be practical about making motions. Uh, if there's something to make a motion about, then make a motion. But just don't file motions by the pound so that you just copy everything that somebody else has made and repeat it in your case. Be sure that it has something to do with it and be sure that it has some meat in it. Otherwise, you're going to get a reputation for uh, being frivolous and the judges are not going to look upon that. But I say now the reverse of that is true. If there's an illegal search, if there's uh, a confession you think is improper, then by all means proceed to fight that from the, to the bitter end to the appellate court. But don't be impractical. The mark of a good lawyer, in my opinion, in civil and criminal cases is knowing when to stop. Uh, you can get run over. Now, in recent years, uh, there has grown up a body of thinking which I disagree with. Uh, and that is that there are some people who feel there's something inherently wrong with plea bargaining. I said to one of these Henderson brothers one day, what do you think about this plea bargaining business? And they said, well, it came over on the Mayflower. And so uh, uh, I tell the lawyers, don't be afraid of plea bargaining. Sometimes you'll do a disservice to your client. Uh, if, you, if the water is deep uh, and they have uh, got confessions and they got eyewitnesses, uh, then you better be thinking about some bargain uh, that's going to get them the least possible time. So those are some of the general uh, admonitions I give to the, to the new lawyer. We'll be right back. Great to see you. Shopping for coffee? Hey, Sharon. Yeah, work's been really draining, and I need extra caffeine just to get motivated to finish the day. Well, you should really consider applying to work with me in the judicial branch. I know we're hiring for positions down at the courthouse. Really? Huh. I never really thought about a career with the courts. Well, you should. I love my job. I work 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, and I have generous paid vacation and sick leave plus 12 paid holidays a year. No way. Do you have medical coverage too? I sure do. I have medical coverage, a retirement plan, and flexible benefits that include vision and dental, among other benefits. And they trained me on what I needed to do. Wow, that really does sound like a great job. Where can I learn more? You can go to nccourts.gov backslash careers and view any current vacancies. Great, I'm going to check it out tonight. Don't wait any longer to start a rewarding career with the judicial branch. We have positions available in all 100 North Carolina counties. Do your career justice and apply today. Visit nccourts.gov careers to learn more.
And now we return to the interview recorded in 2008 with former Chief Public Defender Wallace C. Harrelson. Wallace, you are the most respected public defender in the state. You've been involved with the public defender system from its earliest days. Literally, you go back to the beginning of the public defender system. You have, uh, throughout your time, uh, been an advocate for uh, high standards in the public defender work. Can you identify what you believe to be your most important and lasting contributions to the office of public defender? Well, it's hard to brag on yourself or talk about yourself or what uh, your contribution has been. Uh, let me just go back a ways to when we started. Uh, this was a pilot uh, project, and there's a lot of selling you had to do. Uh, you, it was something brand new. Uh, many judges hadn't heard of it. If they had heard of it, didn't want no part of it. You had to uh, sell yourself to the bar. You had to make the bar aware of what you were doing and that you were not, uh, as some defense lawyers back then said, in the bed with the DA, but that you were fighting for your client the best way you could. Uh, you had to uh, convince the community uh, that uh, uh, this was a new program and that it was a program that was necessary in order to provide the best representation possible uh, for the client who was charged with the crime. Um, and you had to try, which I did, to visit other bar associations. Uh, I was invited to Wake County. I was invited to Durham County. I was invited to Forsyth County. I was invited uh, to Watauga County at one point in time to express why we felt that the public defender program uh, was the best method of providing representation. Uh, I'll have to say that uh, uh, many times while I was received personally very well, uh, what I had to say was not necessarily received very well because the lawyers didn't want to hear nothing about no a public defender and that was going to take away from their practice and so they had had experience with certain programs like that and they wouldn't know want no part of that but most particularly you had to set a standard uh, of representation um, which showed that you were doing what the office was set up to do, providing the best representation possible. You weren't doing anything frivolous, you were doing what needed to be done. And it took some doing um, 
when uh, we got started and for a period of time to convince all of the parties that we felt we needed to convince uh, that the public defender program uh, was what needed to be uh, spread throughout the state. So after all that rigmarole I've just gone over, what I suppose and I like to think is my major contribution is that we set the standard for the state so that the legislature in its wisdom, even though slowly, uh, was willing to expand the public defender program into now what is, I believe, 15 uh, offices from a meager two in 1970. Um, some people have uh, had different opinions uh, about the public defender program and whether it would work in uh, certain areas. Uh, for example, it was a long time coming in Wake County. They should have had it years ago. But I think that, uh, and when the Wake County District Attorney, a public defender was appointed, he came to see us to, about setting up his office. That was true of a number of new offices that were set up. I like to think, uh, and I hope not egotistically, but I like to think we set a standard so that the uh, public defender program has expanded and hopefully will expand further. Well, uh, tell us about what you consider to be your most important case and why, why you consider it so. Well, there was a fellow here in Guilford County by the name of Melvin Bennett. He was a young man who uh, was uh, mentally retarded. And um, there was a, a, he worked every day over at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. The record showed he hadn't missed a day's work in years. Started working there when he was probably underage to work. Never had even a traffic ticket. There was a very brutal rape and murder that took place down here in the south part of the city. And um, they had to arrest somebody, in my opinion, uh, because uh, the pressure was being put on uh, to arrest somebody. So they arrested Melvin and they uh, put him in jail and he remained over here in the county jail for two years before he came to trial. The reason this case is so important it has every ingredient of what can be and should be done and what should not be done in a criminal case. Uh, I solicited the help of my former assistant, uh, Dave North, uh, who has become one of the outstanding criminal uh, defense trial lawyers uh, to help me in this case. Uh, this young man was charged with a capital offense where he could have gone to the gas chamber. Well, we got to looking into it and found out that there was a confession. He had been held a number of hours and uh, uh, he uh, confessed to having uh, raped and killed this uh, 
little girl. Well, I won't call any names, but uh, the, the investigating officer, in my opinion, uh, uh, exerted pressure to he finally said, yes, well, I did it. And so uh, we found out, and this was one of the first cases that DNA testing had been used in the courts. Uh, and it was uh, considered to be a great weapon for the prosecution. Uh, but we got to checking into it and uh, we found out uh, that the DNA had been done by the FBI lab in Washington and it showed that semen found in the person of the uh, deceased uh, child could not have been the semen uh, of our client. We employed by, uh, by getting some funds from the court uh, we applied to get an expert to come and see Melvin and uh, make some determination about his retardation and his ability to um, uh, to make a confession or to understand um, his rights as they were read to him. Well, this... Uh, psychologist from Chapel Hill who was on the had been on the faculty there uh, visited with Melvin on a number of occasions he was very deliberate in his analysis he was very deliberate in determining uh, what he found to be the state of mind of, uh, of Melvin Bennett he was called as a witness and his testimony I can't remember what his IQ was but it was very low his testimony was that he would say anything that he thought anybody wanted to hear particularly cops and that he was absolutely completely and wholly incapable of uh, making a confession and knowing what he was doing, a knowing confession, and that he wouldn't have any notion about what the rights he was supposedly read meant. We called the FBI agent in Washington, and uh, he said, I will testify that there is no way uh, that uh, this semen found in uh, the body of this young girl could have been placed there by your client. He came down a night early. Uh, Mr. North went to dinner with him, and they had a long conversation about what his testimony would be. And his testimony... Uh, he said he testified in hundreds and hundreds of cases probably for the prosecution, but he uh, simply testified as to what he found, and he testified on our behalf. Well, the jury got the case and was out uh, probably 
an hour, hour and a half, and came back and uh, found Melvin Bennett not guilty. Now, here was a young man that could have, under the law, uh, be executed. But due to the diligent work of these experts, uh, in my opinion, the experts are the ones that won the case. We worked on this case tirelessly for literally months because he sat in the jail for two years. And uh, even though the DNA showed it couldn't be him, the prosecutor uh, felt that, yeah, we've got to try him, got to try him. He, he's guilty. We know he's guilty. He confessed. Well, to me, this is the heart of the defense criminal system. Here we were able to use everything that was available to us uh, in order to um, uh, in order to free a man who was not guilty. And I'm convinced beyond any doubt. He was not guilty. I saw him recently up here in the court, and he said he wasn't charged with any crime. I think he came with a friend up here on a traffic case or something. And I said, where are you working, Melvin? He said, I'm still over to college. And so here's a man that, in my opinion, could have been uh, convicted, and uh, they didn't try him in the end for his life, but he could have been in, in prison to, uh, for and the rest of his the remainder of his natural life. But at any rate, that is probably the biggest case I've tried. Thank you for listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting ncourts.gov.